What's been the biggest difference you can compare your early beginnings in 2014 versus now with the band? Okay, well, I was I joined the band a couple of days before Never Ending Cycle of Atonement came out. Yeah, okay, so I joined. I had known the whole band before that because, like, uh, I went to high school with Ron and Cameron. Mm-hmm. And then I was in a band called Desecreon with Joel, who was the other guitarist. Me and him, like, we're in bands since we were, like, 18, 19. I'm a year older than him. But, uh, right. So the biggest difference back then, I mean, um, Cameron and Joel used to to share writing. So, like, the first album is mostly Cameron, and Joel's got a couple of tracks. And, like, the last half of that album is a little weird because it's, like, all acoustic stuff. They did, like, I think Cameron based off the chakras was, like, the themes. But, uh. So, and then like never ending cycle is kind of more split down the middle. Like it's half Joel, half Cameron. And then, uh, we had the next album, which is like our, I guess like our controversial album. A lot of people hate it because of the, the clean vocals and stuff. Right. But uh, that one's mostly, mostly Joel song, like, uh, mu- music wise. But then, um, like Cameron wrote two of the nine tracks and, uh, but like Cameron and his girlfriend at the time, wrote all like the clean vocals over that so it wasn't like joel wrote all the vocal melodies and stuff kind of deal right but i think and then i think we tried to get back to our roots on the next two albums you know what i'm saying so like um oh yeah these last two are freaking killer man yeah so like underneath the melting sky was like we wanted to you know just put something out again that was like i guess more fan friendly we're not like a you know pandering to anyone but just like all right let's just make a death metal album again, you know? And, uh, right. And then I think clockwork was just, you know, we really dumbed it down for underneath the melting sky. If you listen to those tracks, it's like not any like mind blowing musicianship. You know, we kind of, we really tried to take it back a notch. You didn't want to be, you know, crazy for the sake of being crazy. I don't get that, man. Like me, I listen to shit. I'm like, Holy fuck, man. It doesn't matter what album it is. It's it. I'm a guitar player myself. So I'm like, uh-huh. where the fuck did these guys learn how to play? So, so like, so like, uh, I mean, it goes. I think a lot of like tech death goes back to Necrophagus, man, because like they really oh, yeah. came out with it so far before everybody else, man. And like that's what, like, I remember in high school actually, Cameron and, and uh, Ron were in a band called uh, Vaginal Discharge, which yep. was basically like a, it was like a tech death band before tech death, but more in like the like the origin aspect of it or like necrofet like really techy hard to comprehend riffs you know what i'm saying i right. cameron's got like he's got some recordings of that stuff if you ever want to go back and look at it but i've you know it's been a long time since i've heard any of that stuff but um you know and then me and joel were kind of more into like decap back then you know that kind of thing like if you listen Hell to the yeah. Sekron, you can tell like it's like more more that stuff more a little more old schooly sounding you know what i'm saying and, um, yeah, so I don't know. Yeah. Going back to like the original thing, I think the biggest difference between now and then, I think we, we kept a lot of like signature sound stuff, like synth layers and clean guitars over dirty guitars and stuff like that. But I yep. think our, our, our ideas are more focused songwriting style wise. Cause I think if you, 
especially, man, if you listen to Liberation Through Hearing, I'm not trying to say anything bad about how we were before I joined, but like a lot of those songs have like 26 riffs in them, you know, like literally yeah. like an alphabet. Like I'll go back and look at like the riffs and the songs and it's like A through Z or A through A1, you know, that right. kind of thing. Dude. And that's cool because that's like what took the band off. You know, it's good. They're good songs, but they don't translate right. well, well live because no yeah. one. No one knows what's going on, and most people can't remember that many riffs, even if they're really into the band. <laughs> oh, you know, no. like, dude, so, my one buddy, he's like, "Yo, man, we we should start writing really long songs." I'm like, "Yeah, I agree with that, but I don't want to make it like a fucking noodle fest because y- you have to be like, careful." Yeah, yeah, like for me, like I have an attention span that's very, you know, I can play a set, but if the song is uh, you know 150 riffs in 10 minutes it ain't happening so mm-hmm. yeah but i mean that's how it is like for me like there's only a couple of bands where they have super long songs that i actually listen to like and they're prog bands like symphony x dream theater yeah type dudes who you know i, I guess like there's a couple blind guardian songs but you know what i'm saying like i'm you know I, especially for death metal, dude, like think, name any successful death metal bands with like 15, 20 minute songs. Like it's not really a thing, you know, like yeah. it, it's cool. I Like making an epic death metal song is an interesting idea, I think, but doing it in such a way where you have enough new, interesting material that's cohesive and interesting right. for that long. Right. It's it supposed flows. to be like, a, a yeah, it's supposed to be like a visceral quick attack. I think that's like the energy is a lot of like the allure of death metal. So when you, when you dissipate it into like, I think the other thing too, which is hard to come to terms with is if you write a good riff, you can play it like a hundred times, man. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, yeah. I definitely realized that because lately I've been writing more intricate stuff and I'm like, damn, I could play this all day and just mess with it. Whereas before I was like, you know, just getting by with like lazy riffs. Yeah. But yeah, you never get bored. Yeah. If it's, if it's a good riff, you can, like you said, variations on it and keep it going, you know, instead of stacking. Yeah. Instead of just stacking noodles. Yeah. Yeah. It's, but yeah, that's cool. So yeah. So like old stuff versus new stuff. Yeah. That's the biggest difference. I think it's cohesion. Right. Okay. Um, so last time you guys were in town was, from my knowledge, was Tonawanda. And that was, so Buffalo, Rochester region. Mm-hmm. And I freaking missed it. And I'm pissed off because I was so pumped that whole week to go to that show. And it was just a letdown. I don't know what happened. But off of that, you know, do you guys think that you tour too much or too little and would you like to change that in the future? Um, no, I, I really like the amount that we tour. If we were somehow it was more lucrative or something and we like needed to be touring more, that Mm -hmm. would be one thing, but I'd say we go to the East coast one to two times a year and we usually do at least once a year, which I think is pretty good for us. I think another thing, I don't know if we're, I'm jumping ahead here, but another thing we're good at is putting out albums quickly. I mean, this time we're taking a little longer, but usually we put one out every year. And I just like our cycle of 
Yeah, that that's good. That's very you good. You know, doing a doing a uh, you know, an American tour and an album every year. Usually we're pretty good about that. Um I I always am super stoked to go on tour when we start and I'm always super stoked to come home when we're done. And if everything's going well and we're in good spirits, you know, that's like a a natural process that doesn't become, you know, Style. dude, everyone fights, right? So it's not like everything's perfect the whole time, but like, um, you know, lately tour has been pretty good. We're pretty amiable with each other for the most part. I mean, 80, 80, 90% of the time. So right. I think we tour the right amount. I, I, I don't think, you know, we still sell merch when we go to town. There's people, there's more and more people who are coming to our shows. Um, I think, you know, you can make an argument for either direction that scarcity is, is a good thing. And then you could argue that, well, you want people to see you, you know what I'm saying? Right. And that's why I kind of bring up that point is like, there's a lot of bands that I've talked to where they, they tour like, you know, half the year and it's like, holy shit, man. Like, I don't know if you like personally, that would burn me out. And at yeah. the same time, like, I don't know if people would constantly come out to the shows, if that would, you know, draw less people. Cause when I think of a band that, you know, I see them come into town, you know, four times a year. I'm mm-hmm. like, ah, I'll just see him next time. But that's yeah. just a natural thing. And I love going to metal shows. I go to one like every weekend when, you know, when everything's up on. and going. Yeah. 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 But that's kind of been me. So I, yeah, I don't know. Like th- to, from like my experience, one of the only bands, like we toured with Cannabis Corpse back in yep. uh, a while ago now. But so Phil, Landfill, he's in, like Municipal Waste and Iron Reagan with a couple of those other dudes from yep. like, cause we were touring with Mammoth Grinder too. And I, uh, man, like Chris is from, I think they're guitar singers, like a drummer in a thrash band. Uh, they do swing of the ax. What's the name of that band? Anyway, those guys are all in a whole bunch of different bands that tour all the time. Those boys were telling me they tour like 10 months out of the year, but I think right. for them, man, it's like, it really is their career. You know what I'm saying? Like that's yeah, how they're yeah. making money. So, there's not like, oh, because like me, I work I work at a pizza restaurant when I'm home and I love it, man. You know what I'm saying? Like I yeah. I do it all the time. So um but I also live in California where it's a scrillion dollars. So I live in the garage of my mom's house, you know what I'm saying? So it's not like it's gives and takes. I could see like what if you don't have a place to stay when you're home, you might as well be out on tour making money if you can. You know, right, like doing what I, you I love. think it's just situationally depends on the person, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I was actually going to move to California out of college and, you know, I went there on vacation and I'm like talking to people and, you know, rent and all this. I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going back home. Yeah. It's, it's (laughs) serious, dude. It's serious. It's not impossible. You get a roommate like my brother, he lives out of the house, but uh, I save like 1200 bucks a month by not living on my own, you know? And like, I'm 32, man. Like, I'm cool with living with my mom's. It's cool to like get to spend time with her and right. I, you know, it's good, dude. <laughs> I don't, I'm not tripping. If I get married exactly. or something, you know, that's a different story, but. Oh boy. Getting wrapped up in women. It'll, that might <laughs> yeah. make the uh, music career a little bit more. It's, it's harder. Yeah. Yeah. Saddled. Yeah. Shit. Um, so what are three tips to make a band stay alive more than five years? Oh, okay. Um, man, I think the thing is, I would say for me, 
you got to be you got to be kind of you kind of look at the band as a unit so like being forgiving and like willing to serve others i think is important especially if we're talking about being on tour because mm-hmm. like uh like when you're at home you could stay a band for as long as you want you just don't see each other <laughs> that often or yeah, whatever yeah, you know yeah. depending on who you are and i i think uh that would be my first thing is like just a certain friendliness or you know right. care for you your bandmates like a, you gotta a have good like attitude a bond in a way yeah yeah i think part of that is just a developed friendship but also it's like you know i think love is kind of a like a, a choice in addition to a feeling you know what i mean like if you want to stick with someone this is, goes for all relationships not just bands mm-hmm. you have to choose to treat other people well not just because you feel like it you know what i'm saying it has yep. to be a choice because there's gonna be a lot of times you don't feel good man and i think i think that's true for like friendships and marriages and everything there's gonna be right. times when you don't want to be good to people and when you're in business with other people whether it's music business or not that stuff's going to come out. Sometimes money's not going to be coming in. Sometimes, you know, things, bad things happen. You know, towers fall, dude. Sometimes you're driving, right. you get a flat tire or whatever. So, yeah. And then you go, hey, where's that merch money? Oh, I spent that on beer, man. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. You know, you have to, um, you have to remember that, you know, everyone else is dealing with the same struggles and you being negative is going to make other people negative And it's like a cycle, you know what I'm saying? So remembering to, I think choose to treat people well. That's the main thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, two and three, I would say two and three are just kind of auxiliary. Like two is you have to all want to do it. Like you talked about women just before, but like if you want to have a family and have kids, you can right. do that. But if your band doesn't make a lot of money, there's not a lot of room for both. You know, mm-hmm. like our band doesn't make a lot of money. You know, we're not like broke or nothing, but like we're not living in our own houses because of our band or something. So like if I had a family I had to support, you know, it would be hard for me to, Hey, Hey babe, I'm going to go leave for 90 days and come back, you know, with not more money. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't fly that well if we got a kid we're raising or something. So I, I think prioritizing, you know, your life, to keep a band together or if people want to go have a family, just replace them. I mean, I'm not trying to sound callous, but like be having the main members and replacing people who aren't in the, into the band anymore. You know what I'm saying? You have to be able to do that. Right. And I think the, th- the third thing is, I don't know. I, I could pick a bunch of stuff, but what comes to mind first is do something. If you guys are all doing something that feels important to you, I think that matters because, like, if you're just like, ah, we're just kind of doing it, you know. Right. If you don't feel like you're doing something that you're, you know, has meaning behind it. Yeah, that you're going to stick with. Then you're not going to have the drive to do the other two things. You know what I'm saying? So that's different for everyone, man, because I think some people, you know, have a crazed, (laughs) uh, you know, feeling of I really want to do this when it's like. Is that really, are you really doing something that you enjoy or you just think you are, you know, that's right. kind of, or is a, it going to be like, like a phase, you know, like, yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, I, I feel like that's a big thing with, you know, people when they commit to a band, they're like, oh, this will last a year or so I'll join. But like people don't think past that. So, mm-hmm. you know, bands that last that long, I have not asked this question to anyone yet, but that is a good one to ask. 
So I'm yeah. going to start doing that more. So That's a good off question. Of that, yeah. yeah, off of that, do you think it's necessary to take time off from a project when you're feeling like burnout? For us, I don't think that's a problem because um, we used to all live together together in like the Campbell San Jose area, which is like 45 minutes south of San Francisco. It's like the third biggest city in California after like L.A. and San Diego. I think we might even have more people in San Diego now, but it's like we used to all live in the San Jose area. And now Ron lived in Campbell, which was like a suburb outside of San Jose. Same with Cameron. Like I said, we went to high school together. But uh, yep. so we used to see each other band practice weekly you know, writing sessions, that kind of thing. But um, Ron lives in Manteca now, which is like a smaller, it's a growing town in the Central Valley, like hour and a half east of here. And then Cameron lives in Oregon. He lives in Tigard, which is south of Portland. So we talk on on the internet and stuff, but like most of our collaboration is done online. We just send music back and forth to each other. And then like before tour, we meet up for like a week to get tight. And you know what I'm saying? I don't, we don't have too much togetherness. So for us to take a break, like, and we don't go on tour too much either. So like, I don't think for us, we overdo this. Like the majority of my life is spent at home, not with the band. I do spend a lot of time with them at one time, you know, for 40 or 50 days at one point, maybe once or twice a year. But I think that's the thing is like, I think that question is more important for like people who are touring 10 months out of the year and stuff. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And, and bands that, um, you know, get together and write the material. It's totally different. I'm starting to do the same way that you guys do, where I'm like doing pre-production, just sitting in my apartment, writing fucking for a long time. But I used to, you know, get with a drummer and write songs, but it was just a pain in the fucking ass. Like, you can, it's it's different having that all the time in the world to write something versus like, mm-hmm. hey, man, I, I have three hours. Let's write something. Let's get something. Yeah, done. yeah, yeah. I think it so. depends, too. Like, um, I'm in another band, like a, a jammy, you know, sludge, whatever, like a rock metal band, like uh, with my brother and my friend Seti and my friend Jesse. And me and my mm. friend Jesse, we actually meet up to write tunes on Friday nights. But it's really low stress, like... We always have more tunes written than we've learned to practice, partly because my brother has just like started picking up guitar again. Yeah. And t- it takes him a while to learn tracks and stuff like that. But like it's low pressure and like me and him just have a good time. We're just kicking it. Like, what about this? You know what I'm saying? We'll, we'll write right. some tunes. And I do enjoy the collaborative aspect. And I think, you know, that's like an artist's mode of creation is different so it's just like how much how do you like to eat food or something you know it's like couldn't yeah. be more different for everyone so i think for something like that like right now i haven't seen my boy jesse and to like write music in a couple months you should we should do it every friday so that really sucks but i think it is good good to take a little break because now next time we meet up we'll be like oh i got these ideas you know so i think right. breaks are important but the the other thing is you don't want to I think advice wise, you don't want to like break so long that you lose momentum either, because I think if it's like, oh, we're going to take a Friday off, that's cool. But if like, oh, we're not going to do this for a few months, you see a lot of bands break up like that. Like uh, what the uh, Mike Portnoy from Dream Theater is like, oh, let's not tour for like six months or like uh, <laughs> the the dude from Blink-182 was like that, whatever the singer, he was like, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to tour for like six months. Usually that means like, yo, I'm sick of being with you guys. Like 
I need to be away. It's usually a symptom. That's a nice way to put it. Yeah, it's just a symptom of of not enjoying yourself anymore, you know? Right. But yeah, I don't know. Sec- like, I've never been in that situation where, like, I'm touring all the time. That would that would wear me down, too. Right. So, off of, well, this is a different question. What's the most technical or technically uh, straining song to play live on a new album? On the newest album, I would probably say the opening track, Clockwork. Yeah. Um, that's just the fastest. But honestly, dude, like it doesn't even compare to how we used to be because like I'm way more careful about how I write now for live than like, dude, when we did Never Ending Cycle of Atonement live, that was crazy. Like when we did Staring Through Fire, that was like almost impossible to nail. <laughs> and there's some calling from a dream stuff that was super tough, too. But like the older material, man, was such a pain to to nail live and like I feel like sometimes we'd go on tour and it wouldn't be until like we're halfway in that we're starting to really like because dude the more notes you have the harder it is to come across live and like on the new album I would have to say clockwork but we nail it pretty good man like the newer stuff I'm telling you that's the cohesion thing is like we're way more cognizant of what what we can play well live you know so after honestly all the songs after I've played them a, a thousand times it's not, it's second nature. You know, I'm trying to enjoy the moment, look at the audience, you know, be grateful for being on stage and stuff. I would say like one B to that would be Voyager. There's a section in there that's got some odd time signatures where I count yep. it live, which is not, not, not what I usually do, you know, but there's, <laughs> it's the little tremolo picking before the chorus in the middle of the song. And, uh, if I don't count it, I I could easily get lost just by missing. You just turn around, man. You just turn around. Nobody yeah, know. like oh, Ron, where are you? You know, so um, turn. The so I would say, down. yeah, it's not really that technical, but uh, oh, yeah, just turn off the volume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, man. But so like, uh, I wouldn't even say like the fingers thing. That would be like, you know, the the hardest part is the counting the you know eleven eighths. Six four five four sequence type stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, just now when you yeah. guys when you guys do write stuff, is it on Guitar Pro or yes, is it yeah yeah oh, totally okay. man. I would yeah so like um Guitar Pro I've been using since I was like an eighth grade man, like Guitar Pro four back in the day, and me and Cam still use like Guitar Pro five because just the easy it doesn't have all the, like the making like a mixer and all this other crap you don't need. You just need like a MIDI sequencer. Now, the yeah. one thing that's changed from before is I think we used to kind of write the guitar pros and then we'd send that to each other. Now what we do is we write a song in Guitar Pro and then we record it and send it so that we have a better idea of how the dynamic range is filled up by the instruments because I think that's the biggest thing that you don't you lose when you listen to a guitar pro version of a song is it always is going to take up the whole dynamic range. So you could have a super thin part that sounds full on guitar pro that will sound thin when you actually record it with guitars. Mm-hmm. And then, like the really heavy stuff on guitar pro is going to sound like, rah, rah, rah. but then like, right. It, it has I, some balls I behind like, it. Power chords. I, one of my buddies has been pushing me to start writing with that. Um, because he thinks it's, you know, very helpful on blah, blah, blah. Uh-huh. And I've tried messing with it and like the chords, they don't 
sound like full. I don't know if that's just me or like. That is just because it's a MIDI guitar. And basically you have to remember that Guitar Pro is not for performance. It's for, it's like a pen and paper, you know? Right. It's just so you come up with an idea and then you put it on there so that you don't forget any detail about it. And the thing is, I think what I feel really blessed about using Guitar Pro coming up is that it really teaches you duration. You know, you know what an eighth note is, what a 16th, what a tripleted 16th is like. It really helps you metrically keep your ideas, um, organized, you know, like without that stuff, you know, you might, yeah, it's mapped out. Yeah. So you just have to remember that it might be cool and not sound good in guitar pro and vice versa. It might sound cool in guitar pro and not sound good in real life. So after a while, it's just another, it's like any skill. The more you do it, the better you get at learning like how it's supposed to sound. But ultimately, right. you just got to remember Guitar Pro is just like a pen and paper. It's just to jot down your ideas. Yeah, I've been uh, messing with MIDI drums and stuff, and I always thought I could never do it. And it only took me like a week to like get somewhat good at it. I'm like, how did that happen? Like, Yeah, it's just because you like doing it. Yeah, I was like, dude, I'm going to I'm going to figure this out and I sat in my freaking apartment for like a week straight. Got it. Yeah, you yeah, you start enjoying yourself and you're like, "Ah, I got this," you know. Yeah. Get so, speaking of uh, you know, piano and orchestra and stuff like that, who does it? You know, is this a long process and do you think that an adamant would sound like the band without it? Um, whoever writes each song is who writes the, the orchestral parts, which on our last two albums was all Cameron. So I didn't write any orchestral parts. If there's like something I think is particularly dissonant or could really improve, I'd be like, what if we did this? And he he might be like, yeah, but for the most part, it's all Cameron, um, for like, that is the, the notes section. Now I, I would say to a fault we really don't stress too much about the sounds when it comes to the album because for the most part dude if you if you listen to our orchestral stuff it's orchestral harp and strings and maybe some choir and that's pretty much it we don't really mess around with a whole bunch of orchestral stuff i i mean i wouldn't say we're like a symphonic death metal band but we definitely i would say it's part of our signature sound though to answer the second part of the question like Yep. Yeah, the I think the harp is a big part of what we do, which is funny. But um you know, parts without it sound good too. I like and even some of our old stuff. I like some of the synth stuff on Never Ending Cycle, but yeah, it'll it'll keep being in our music and I think it is a part of how we sound because we've always written it in there. But uh it doesn't take I mean, it takes as long as anything else we put into the tunes, right? We write it in there, but we don't spend hours and hours fiddling with sounds. I think we could mm-hmm. if we wanted to, but like in the past, we've just been like, that's a good orchestral harp sound. That's a good, you know, string sound that we'll go with that, yeah. you know? Right on. So what are some like, uh, tricks like behind the scenes for self-recording? Um, okay. So one is, uh, I learned this the hard way. You want a good DI box to match impedance because, okay. One thing we do for recording when we go to the studio is it saves us thousands of bucks is we come in with DI tracks so we don't have to actually record guitars and bass at the studio because there's no reason. Yep. Right. So if you have a good DI box, 
you can plug in because the transformer and the DI box is what gives it a good like sound character, right? And it's, it's going to eliminate noise and just create a clean DI track. So if you have a good DI, like I use a JDI radial at home, but you can use like a Countryman Type 85. We learned this from Zach, our, our studio engineer. But yeah, use, use a good DI box at home and then do your DIs at home and then um, make sure everything's clean, all the levels are equal, and then you can take it to the studio and plug it in, reamp it through like a really nice amp in a great studio, you know, room. Yeah. So yeah, that's like that a, the hard a way huge too. I learned that the freaking hard way too, man. He's like, you know, you could record this stuff at home, right? I'm like, what'd you just say? Yeah. And then I figured it all out. So yeah, because why are you why like you you have to take a whole bunch of takes to get something right, especially if it's like technical oh, yeah. metal or whatever. Like, especially when you're like very nitpicky. Yeah, and, and you well, you want it to. You want to be under pressure. Yeah, well, I think everyone has that. Like that, they call it red light syndrome. Is where you don't yeah, play as well you when you know everything. you're being recorded. Yeah, if you know you're being recorded, it's like more challenging. Like, it's funny, but yeah. So I would say that's a, a huge one. Um, I mean, what else? Like, I'm trying How to about think some, of some uh, bass tone. Like, for example, okay. when. I, if I ever decided to track bass on this record, I'm doing. Uh huh. Um, okay, yeah, I got a bunch of stuff on that. If you want, yeah, like tones. What would I need, man? Okay, so for for tone wise, I would say the first thing that is it sounds like a old fuddy duddy thing to say, but the the performance is the most important part of bass tone on a record because what most people who mess up when they record a bass track is they don't mute the other strings they're not playing well. If you don't do that, you can't mix the bass in loud enough for anyone to hear. Because what happens is bass has sympathetic resonance more than guitar and other instruments. So if you're playing like a G string, seventh fret note, and then you mm-hmm. don't mute the other three strings, say you're playing a four string bass, those are going to ring. And because basses take up so much energy in the dynamic range, in the low frequencies, because, like, you know, like, apparent loudness is something the the mixing engineer is always trying to get. They're trying to make the whole track sound louder. Right. So yep. if the bass is taking... Yeah, so if the bass is taking up a lot of that loudness space, so to speak, by notes you're not even playing, mm-hmm. like, you have to... You, the, the bass has to be turned down in the mix because it's not a clear single note track. So really work on left-hand and right-hand muting for recording a bass part you it's so imperative like even i didn't know that well enough when i first joined the band so like if you listen to calling from a dream the bass is pretty quiet and it's because frankly my muting technique was not on point enough yet in my opinion so like once you get once you get that you can mess around with tones and make sure that the bass comes out nice and strong and loud in the mix so that is number one is muting the bass if you don't mute like the other strings you're not playing uh it's the bass ain't going to sound good because it's going to be muddy so right the second thing i would even track it yeah yeah you might as well program it because it'll sound better so like um the second thing i would say is for tones you know some people go for like maybe i i i do that yeah i'm a sansamp guy all my contemporaries though are dark glass dudes like everyone uses dark glass like i've been told about that yeah, I mean, they sound great, man. I'm I'm totally not against them. But I just don't do it because I feel like 
it will make me unoridginal or something. Even though Sansamp right. was like the standard from like 10 years ago, you know what I mean? But everyone uses dark glass and it's because they sound really, really, really good. Like that's the reason why I'm not here to tell yeah. you it doesn't sound good. But I think like general tone stuff for bass, the thing about bass is it's not like guitar where you get really creative with highs and lows and mids, turning them up and stuff like good bassists. If you look at their amp, the EQ is not a smiley face with a scoop mid or like <laughs> loaded bass and stuff. Everything is 12 o'clock, man. Yep. A good bassist will have his amp set up with almost no EQ because you want the bass to sound like the bass. If you scoop it, you're not going to be heard in the mix. No one's going to hear you. You're going to hear the guitars and the drums. Bass is going to be in the background. If you turn up the mids too much, it's going to sound jazzy, you know, and it's going to be like, like too much mids. You can turn up the low mids a little bit if you want to cut through a little more live, but on an album, you know, yeah, and I think like for this is more a mixing technique for the album, but you want to really cut everything under 40 hertz. And that includes the bass guitar. So that same thing, it doesn't take up too much dynamic range. That really takes the mud out of the mix. So mm-hmm. like a, a high pass filter at 40 hertz, you know, that kind of thing. But I mean, for bass tone, I would say you want some drive on a death metal record to like cut through. But I just preferentially like cleaner tones because I like yeah. that. That's what I'm into. Like one of my favorite bassists was, uh, is Brendan from, he used to be in Nail Blue Scars to all that BS, whatever. But his tone on those albums is super clean, even next to the super distorted guitars and stuff. And I love that like bridge, nasally, right. super clean tone, man. That to me is like awesome bass tone, even on a death metal or black metal or whatever kind of record, because that's how bass is supposed to sound to me. Like the the neural DSP, like ultra dark glass tones for drive tones. Those are awesome, dude. Like I'm not saying anything bad about that stuff just to me i prefer the clean tones it's like a you know flavor thing it's like orange versus right it's uh what the hell is that band called holy crap i'm gonna draw a blank here um and well i'm not gonna come up with it deer in headlights but anyway yeah um, there's a specific tone that i think you're talking about which is coming to my mind and i've always been cure that was kind of the question I was asking, because when I listen to your stuff, it does sound a little bit different than a lot of death metal records. And I think that is because like you said, you don't drive it as much. So what, what do you use? Like when it comes to recording? So he actually does use a sans amp in his studio. So I record into a radial JDI passive direct box at home. Right. Yep. And then, well, actually, I think my last record, I did use a Sansamp as a DI box, which you don't want to use because the impedance matching isn't as good. So there was some noise he had to like filter out on um, clockwork, right? It was a little bit, um, there was some noise because I used the Sansamp as a DI box instead of, okay, I'm all over the place. What I'm saying is don't follow my, <laughs> follow my uh, <laughs> mistake of using like a Sansamp as a DI box. You need like a good DI box. So you have a matched impedance signal that has no noise. You know what I'm saying? And also, right. if you're recording into a laptop, stand away from the laptop because th- when you're close to the laptop, you'll pick up some noise frequencies. You're, you're like, you'll get interference. So record oh, far really? away from the laptop. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to be right up next to the laptop because depending on where you're plugged in, 
your guitar or your bass can pick up some like interference noise from the laptop that could happen. So just get like three, four feet away. Don't like record right up next to the laptop. If it's a desktop, you won't have that issue as much, but it just happens with right. laptops for whatever reason. I, the okay. only time I've had interference is like my cell phone, which is really weird. It like, could definitely do that. Yeah. Especially close to the pickups, right? Well, no, like, I don't know what the hell it is, but I don't know. It, one guitar of mine just makes noise when my fucking phone's next to it. And it's not from the pickups. I don't know what the hell's up with it. Yeah, I mean, all my all my basses and guitars do that if the phone is close enough to the pickups. But it's just like, you get that the same thing when you like have your phone next to your radio in your car, right? The whatever that, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So I think that's just cell phone frequency, like RF, like radio frequency. I don't know. That's all. I don't know about that stuff. But anyway... It's yeah, so like us. yeah, yeah, but like the setup for the bass. I mean, on the records, it's my DI track, and then he runs it through like a Sans amp, and he just kind of molds it from there. My tone's pretty dry, you know. It's like I I play like a an old school Ibanez SR twelve oh five. It's like a ninety six or seven or something, but these electronics aren't stock. I have like Bartolini active electronics and Bartolini pickups and like Bartolini's are kind of jazzy pickups. Like I wouldn't recommend them for metal. If you're going for that drive tone, you know, they're Mm -hmm. pretty mid centric, but um, like I said, man, that's what I like. I like the clean doom, 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 doom tone. So right. That's most of my setup, man. It's like, it's like on the records, it's basically just my, you know, and then he, he reamps it and stuff, but I, I can't even remember what cab or anything he used. It, you know, it was just something he had. How about pick or no pick? I don't use a pick. I, I did use a pick when I joined the band, and that was kind of because Never Ending Cycle of Atonement, the bass was recorded by Cameron and Joel and their guitarists, right? So they recorded all the bass with pick parts. So, like, all the bass lines that I was learning and playing were... I wasn't as fast with two fingers because, like... um I hadn't been in a metal band in a couple years before I joined, but, um, you know, I just had to play with a pick to play all the fast tremolo picking and stuff, you know? So then right. I kind of talked with Joel and, and, and Ron about it, uh, leading up to the albums. And they're just like, Hey, do you think you could like do fingers for the next album? I was like, I'd love to <laughs> like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. You know, like, right. I, I play gotcha. with fingers at home anyway. So, and then that became that. So I'm, I'm big finger guy. Never go back. I mean, I think, you hear bassists say this all the time. You should be able to do both. Like mm-hmm. you got to be able to know how to play pick. Cause I play guitar and like drums and keyboards too, but like bass is my main thing. And like, I'm much more adept muting with my fingers. It's, which is right. like, a, yeah, I've as I iterated in length. <laughs> that, yeah. Recording. You don't, well, it depends on which, you know, genre you're going for, but no pick all the way. Yeah, I mean, you can use a pick for a good recording, especially for what we do, man, like death metal and thrash metal and stuff. Right. But like you like I said, the muting is so important and it's a lot harder to get the muting right. You have to be way more left-hand based, I feel like. You right. know, you have to make sure if you're playing that low E, you got the your fingers on the ADG, you know, and like that's a lot more challenging than like floating your thumb with your right hand on the E if you're playing a string or stuff like that. So I just think it's yeah, easier it's to all... mute. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Last question here. 
what makes you stay true to your music? I don't know. Like I, I would say I don't <laughs> like, <laughs> me, like, uh, me and the boys, like when we're in the, when we're in the, uh, car and stuff, we don't frankly listen to a lot of tunes. Like sometimes we do, but I think like our, our tastes are way different than what we play. Like we like metal and don't get us wrong and everything, but like we listen to like, you know, Mac Dre and like, uh, stuff like that, you know, like weird random tunes. I think for, if you're talking about from a composition standpoint, yeah. I think I think that's kind of um we know the sound that we have and we like it and we just know how to recreate it. I don't think there's anything mystical about it. And I think the other thing too is Cam writes with the tune, so mostly he just keeps it how he likes it, you know what I'm saying? I mean, we're we're working on this new album right now cuz obviously we got a little more free time. Yeah. And we're we're but you know, it's just it's the style of how we write and we just pick and choose the tunes that fit the style and that we like, you know, because we've written a few songs and stuff over the years that don't get picked. So I think that's kind of, it's just picking and choosing what's good and what's not. I think it's a pretty simple process, you know. Right on. Yeah, that's yeah. a good answer, man. Hell yeah. Well, I'm not going to take too much of your freaking time, but uh, is there it's anything cool, you want to like promote or anything? Right here, uh, I guess. I mean, we're not, we don't have we've got a album album number. What would it be six in the works? So. No name or yet anything, but we're slated to hit the studio in December, so probably like uh, spring next year, like a year from now, we got our, our next album coming out would, would be most likely, so keep an eye out for that. Check out our merch store. We got some cool designs and whatever, but uh, you know, appreciate everyone out there listening to us, and I uh, appreciate you having me on the show, John. Hell yeah. Thank you. Um, let's see here. Shit. I was going to say one more fucking thing. Shit. I just drew a blank what, right at the what end. What is it? What is it? No, you gotta remember before we close out. Um Oh, Rochester. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how I fucking forgot that. When you come in like around here, you better stop in Rochester. Garbage plate. Garbage Ooh. plate, man. Nick Towers, bro. Yeah. I go every time. I, I I put my band on that. I'm like, dude, so we go to Steve T Steve T's because Tees, yep. it's open all night, man. That's the way. So I went to the original Nick Tows a couple times. Man, this is a funny story. We'll just keep going. So <laughs> the first time, <laughs> I so I, I'm like a cook at home. So I really like cooking with ground beef because we always have it in the fridge. Yep. So I'm always like scouring the internet saying, oh, what's like a, a unique ground beef recipe? So I found out about this garbage plate thing. Oh, so yeah. I tried to make it at home. And like, it's not quite the same, but you know what I mean? Like I use like a immersion blender and all this business, like to make the chili sauce kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've done it up quite a few times, but so we were playing in Buffalo or Lake Tonawanda, however many years ago. Tonawanda stamps, dude. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But so then we went, uh, through Rochester. I'm like, dude, it's like five minutes out of the way. We have to go to Nick Tao's you know, the OG place. Cause I always wanted to try this. Like it's like the yep. only restaurant in the whole country that has something I'd never <laughs> really had before, you know, like I have to go. So we go in and it's like, you know, like the menu is like 50 years old, bro. Literally not even like, yep. that's not hype hyperbole. Like it's like a 50 year old menu. And I go in there. I like, look at me. I'm like, uh, I'll just get the hot, you know, <laughs> like just, I'll yeah. just get the first thing on there. And like, then so I get mine. What you want at this hour? <laughs> I, I know. Yeah. Like it's like super random. There, and so you got, uh, like three stone kids in the back and then you got these guys on tour. 
Yeah, yeah. It was pretty cracking, dude. We went like, I think it was like 11.30 a.m. or noon, so it was like the lunch rush was happening. So we're like in between some people. So I order, I'm like, you know, let me get my thing. And it's the the old guy, right? And he looks over and shows it, one garbage plate. (laughs) You know, just yells it over (laughs) his shoulder. I'm like, okay, for sure. And then uh, I get like a drink or whatever. And then Cameron comes in after me. And he orders one. He's and he goes. I forget what he got the grilled cheese or whatever. The guy's like another garbage plate. <laughs> Says over his shoulder. <laughs> and then uh, Cameron goes. Cameron goes. Hey, um, do you guys have a bathroom? And the guy goes, Yeah, we got a bathroom. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> and Cameron's yeah. like, Oh, oh, uh, where is it? <laughs> and then he points it out to him. But I was laughing so hard. I was like, Man, that's so like upstate New York of him to say, Yeah, we got a bathroom. <laughs> I was laughing so yeah. hard, man. And uh, yeah, it was super good, man. I was real. I was not disappointed. And then so, the problem was, you know, usually whenever we're going through Rochester, it's because we're coming from Rhode Island or New York City or you right. know Massachusetts right. or whatever. You're not we're coming across Rochester. Ac- we're coming across the state, so yeah. it's always the middle of the night, you know. So the second time we went to Nick Tows. I was like, can we like camp out at this gas station so we go to Nick Tows in the morning? And it's like, <laughs> it's cool, but everyone's going like, come on, Scotty, but like, we're stopping come so you can on, get, man. yeah, come on, man, just so we can get food in the morning. They're not really tripping that hard because I don't usually like make that many requests, you know. But so then the next time I'm like, dude, there's another spot, like it's open 24 hours. I'm pretty sure. So I had to like kind of figure it out. But Stevie T's right, it's open 24. So yeah. we just went, we just went there when we because we played in. What was it uh, in Buffalo? Anyway, but yeah, when we came through recently, so we were there at like 4 a.m. I went and got, we, me, Liam, and uh, Cameron, our, like, you know, our tour manager or whatever, went and got a garbage place at 4 a.m. And I was like, ah, oh, this is awesome, dude. This is where, where we'll go from now on because we're always there at night. You know, it's not, it's not yeah. a daytime thing. The, the owner is funny as hell, dude. This, uh, the last time I was there, this chick, she, uh, she asked for a to go box. And, uh, you know, he gave it to him, gave it to her, my bad. And he's like, you want a bag? And she's like, nah, nah, I'm good. He goes, are you sure? Because you're going to drop it. She goes, nah, nah, it ain't going to happen. And uh, surely enough, right when she was walking out the door, she dropped the whole freaking to-go box with the garbage plate like a full meal on the floor oh man and, and he goes i told you so you should have got a bag now what am i gonna do clean it up thanks have a good night oh <laughs> uh, that's terrible